0: Howdy, Dream Cowboys.
1: Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Fan-Driven Westworld Podcast.
0: Today, we're going to be talking about the cast and the crew. I'm James. And I'm Ryan. And this is the Westworld Podcast.
1: Alright, so... I've been looking at the cast for the last couple days, and I gotta say I'm pretty impressed.:
0: I've been looking at the cast for the last five minutes, and I am equally impressed.
1: Uh, and uh, we got a great production cast too, especially the the showrunners, the producers. it's they're really they're swinging for the fences with this one.
0: It's they have spent enough money to make all the right people be in the right place at the right time, so if it's a failure, it's all their faults. So, yeah, let's uh, jump right
1: into it. I think we would be remiss if we didn't bring up maybe the most important person who actually has nothing to do with this production.
0: Yeah, the Arthur Conan Doyle of Westworld. And that's Michael Crichton, who is actually no longer with us. He died in 2008, but he is the man, the myth, the legend, who is the director and writer of the original Westworld movie. And he also wrote a lot of books and Jurassic Park, which to me, is his seminal work.
1: Yeah, it's kind of his his magnum opus, and it's a little funny that there's a lot of similarities you can draw between Jurassic Park and Westworld, aren't there?
0: Yeah, there are incredible, I mean, the man is known for his, quote, techno-thrillers, which, uh, I don't think he liked the term techno-thrillers. What that basically means is he was writing, uh, thrillers that had big words and ideas that you couldn't come up with and Jurassic Park was one of those. Andromeda Strain was this first book that he wrote while he was still an MD. He was basically in the room being a doctor thinking of Andromeda Strain. And then he put that book out. It made enough money where everyone was like, hey, you can do whatever you want. And he, like a lot of um, red-blooded American men in the 1970s, thought to himself, I want to make a Western. But also, I'm the techno-thriller guy. So we got Westworld.
1: Yeah, uh, techno-thriller sounds to me like an EDM version of a uh, Michael Jackson album.
0: Right, he's a dubstep thriller, he does the Wub Wubs, but also he's a zombie in the night with Michael Jackson. Hugely
1: prolific author.
0: Yeah, and Uh, you said his magnum opus was Jurassic Park, which, Jurassic Park, he wrote the book, and then it got changed a bunch by Steven Spielberg into a movie. Obviously, the backbone of it's there, and when it comes to backbones, Michael... Crichton is is great so that means to me that westworld probably should have the same quality of a backbone and again if it's messed up it's these new people who did it but i would say his magnum opus is not jurassic park i'd say it is the show that he created er which is one of the most popular tv shows of all time
1: that's right he 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 created and wrote the pilot for ER, and he won an Emmy for that, and a Peabody Award for that. So
0: it must have been a really great
1: pilot. I I gotta say, if I saw it, I was a little boy, and I don't remember it.
0: Yeah, me either. But the point of all of this is, he built a career off of writing wonderful books and creating movies and television. And before all of that, he made Westworld. Westworld was only the second or third thing he ever made. Uh, They basically let him direct because he was like, I want to direct. And uh, his book Andromeda Strain did well enough where they were like, well, okie doke. And then he made Westworld, which did well enough to kind of keep building a career off of.
1: Yeah, and what an interesting career it is. Like you said, starting out as an MD, turning into a Peabody award-winning writer for, you know, TV the big screen and one of the most prolific american novel writers of our time uh just you know he's a real legend
0: yeah exactly which you know it kind of when you see the rest of the producers who are now on this it is an amalgamation of some of the better creative minds in the last you know 5 to 6 decades and they're really stacking the deck so i'm right. hope i'm hopeful yeah me too uh, we should
1: talk about the the biggest name probably attached to this production wise
0: yeah and i believe that you're speaking of jj abrams
1: one and only
0: yeah so jj abrams is the uh producer who is probably there mostly by name i could understand probably he's there in the beginning to be a consulting producer like, what is this show going to be in the first few meetings about it? Maybe did some script edits. But J.J. Abrams is a pretty busy guy. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but he recently made a little movie about uh space. What was that one? What was that one called?
1: Oh, yeah, uh, something Star Something, I think.
0: No, sounds stupid. Whatever. Either way, he's a busy dude. So he's really not in all of these meetings. He's not the hands-on producer. But it is really, really neat to say in Hollywood right now. Oh, this thing? Yeah, it's being produced by J.J. J. Abrams. So Right.
1: If you don't know who J.J. J. Abrams is, well, then you are probably a person with a life. But Yeah, yeah. right.
0: And you're not listening to this podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he wrote the blockbuster Armageddon. He
0: used... Yeah. And then I saw that in your notes, it said he won the Razzie for Armageddon and as the worst screenplay. And in quotes, it said, well-deserved. And my immediate thought was, fuck you, James. How dare you? How dare you? Armageddon is amazing. If you like Deep Impact better, in my mind, you are wrong. Armageddon is one of my favorite movies. I mean, it's awful. It's obviously awful. But yeah, he wrote Armageddon. It was one of the first things he ever did. He was a writer, a young writer, and he was putting out spec scripts. He wrote Armageddon, which basically launched his career as a guy who can write movies that would be fine for Michael Bay to direct. And then he took that and, you know... Did a few more things, such as Lost, Alias, uh, Revolution, which really never got off the ground. Revolution was a TV show that went for one season and was decent. It was about how all the lights went off, and all of a sudden everyone was pretty scared about it. And then, you know, Super 8, Cloverfield, uh, not the first two Missions Impossibles, but he came in on that third one. Yeah, (laughs) he really made it his own. Three, four, and
1: five, Mission Impossible. Thank JJ Abrams.
0: Yeah, the man has made a lot of things in his life. And now, one more thing he can put on his resume, and hopefully it's good, is Westworld. Right. He's pretty much, if there's like
1: a nerdy thing in Hollywood, you better believe J.J. Abrams is involved somewhere. You know, yeah. New he's Star also... Trek, new Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, And he's, he's about to produce the movie adaptations of Half-Life and Portal, which are two of the biggest video games of all time.
0: Yeah. And uh, also, he's a wonderful composer and musician he wrote all the new cantina music uh with lin-manuel miranda of hamilton fame the man's a talented dude not everybody likes the things he makes but i am i feel better like i don't know seeing his name at the top of this list is like being nice and warm in your bed in the morning and you don't want to get up because you know it's cold out there just makes you feel safe
1: right that's also a complaint people have of J.J. J. Abrams. He is a very safe director, a very safe producer, and if we're yeah. going by Armageddon, a very safe writer.
0: Yeah, I mean, the man is sticks to what works, but at the same time, he made Lost. I mean, he's not the only person who made Lost, obviously, but he helped make Lost, and that show, I in my opinion right up until the end is one of the greatest tv shows of all times so he really didn't stay inside the box with that one he didn't stay safe with that one at all and it turned out to be something that was truly good entertainment if he's taking a risk you want it to be a big swing and uh westworld if, with hbo's new money that uh, is not going to be going to game of thrones anymore is probably, in my opinion, the biggest swing HBO's ever taken.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt he is a huge mover and shaker in the entertainment business now, and there's no denying also that he's very polarizing. I'm sure when he got attached to this, just like when he was attached to Star Wars, 50% of people said, all right, J.J. Abrams, and 50% of people said, oh no, J.J. Abrams.
0: Well, I think for the people who said, oh no, I wouldn't really worry about it. Because he's not the on-the-ground producer. He was there, obviously, just for the first few meetings. If, if you want to hang your hat on somebody, it, whether this show is going to be good or going to be bad, it's Jonathan Nolan.
1: That's right. Little yeah. brother to uh, Hollywood superstar Christopher Nolan.
0: Right, and they both uh, work on most of the movies that Christopher Nolan does. In fact, Christopher Nolan's working on a movie right now called Dunkirk. Uh, that is basically a war movie. It's, you know, the dude who did Batman doing a war movie. I'm pretty psyched about it. But it's the first movie in a very long time that Jonathan Nolan's not working with him on, and that's because he was supposed to be Jonathan Nolan, that is, was supposed to be a bit of a hands off producer as well, a la J.J. J. Abrams on Westworld. Uh, but HBO got a few uh scenes back. They saw what was basically going to be the pilot and they called jonathan nolan and said hey uh we knew you wanted to be a little hands-off but clear your schedule for the next year because you're not gonna be hands-off you're gonna be as hands-on as humanly possible thanks very much
1: yeah and i think jonathan nolan it's a lot harder to say that he's a wishy-washy in the same way that jj J. abrams is you can't really deny that the prestige dark knight interstellar he wrote the original story for memento those are all amazing films
0: yeah and it's not the first it's not the first television show that he's created either he's created the cbs series person of interest which you know is basically a cantrip series see everything on cbs is basically a cantrip series can it? can your series make 20 million people interested and which is very, you know, it's very hard to do. You have to make it incredibly broad and person of interest is exactly that. It's a little cop show that does uh, episodic um, cop stories with one big arc throughout the season. And it's all it's, but it's a thriller, you know, uh, it's kind of like um, lost meets Sherlock Holmes. You know what? It's not at all like that, but I'm going to stick with it either way. I'm going to stand by it. Um, he he's the guy who has to make this good.
1: Yeah, and he's got a great pedigree, but, I mean, let's not pretend he's King Midas. Uh, he's also, you know, co-wrote The Dark Knight Rises, which not yeah. a lot of people loved, And he co-wrote Interstellar, which is another movie that's got a lot of people divided.
0: I doesn't have me divided at all. I love Interstellar so much. I think he and his brother did a great job on that movie. I was entertained the entire time. But more so than that, he directed the pilot, and he's not a director. He's never... Christopher Nolan, his older brother, is the director. What used to happen was Jonathan Nolan would write the first draft of a movie, and then they would work on it together. Jonathan Nolan would write the second draft of the movie, and then he would give it to his older brother, Christopher Nolan, who would write the director's draft. Basically, I'm about to make this, so I need to make it like something I can read and understand and, and, and be 100% me, and then Jonathan Nolan would go off and write the next movie, while Christopher Nolan was making the one that they just wrote. And Jonathan Nolan had no part in the directing whatsoever. So now HBO says, here's all this money. Here's all this pressure. And also, you're not just writing this thing. You're going to be directing it. And he goes, well, I, I'm, not, I'm not really a director per se. And they're like, great, 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 bye. So he has to now prove himself in a medium that he really hasn't worked within a whole bunch.
1: Right, but, you know, this is his chance to step out of his brother's shadow and really, you know, strike out on his own.
0: Yeah, exactly. His Wikipedia article in 20 years is going to be way different if this is good.
1: Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, Christopher Nolan is in no way involved in Westworld.
0: No, not at all, because he is incredibly involved in making the movie Dunkirk, which is a $100 million war movie, and when you're making a $100 million war movie, you're pretty invested in that. So. Yeah, you don't
1: have any time to take calls from your little brother. Like, hey, what do you think about this script? You know,
0: yeah, what I think scene. is, I'm trying to make an amazing movie, so don't call me back.
1: Yeah. It's also, if, uh, it's probably a relief for him that that Jonathan's got Westworld, so he doesn't have to, you know.
0: Yeah, Jonathan's not his calling little me. brother
1: on his back anymore.
0: I haven't heard from Jonathan in months. It's been wonderful.
1: <laughs> He's not the only showrunner, though. Also attached as one of the creators and head writers for the show is
0: lisa joy yeah lisa joy is jonathan nolan's wife uh and but uh more so than that she was writing on pushing daisies back in the day which i don't know if you ever saw that show but i really really enjoyed it it was a show that did not have the life that it should have she was on staff for burn notice which was an episodic spy thriller on usa that had its moments and she has a lot of spec scripts out there uh her spec script reminiscence was on the blacklist in 2013 blacklist is basically what are the best scripts in hollywood right now that haven't been made i think she's a primarily a writer and um any writer that can get on the blacklist is usually worth their salt right and here's an interesting thing she's about to uh
1: be the screenwriter for what is listed on IMDb as the Untitled Female Superhero Spider-Man Movie.
0: And while all of those words put together make me feel like... That sounds... Why? 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 I don't know. Why? Um, while that is my feelings on that sentence, what I think of first, actually, is... What about Westworld? Like, I, I understand that you can be working on two things simultaneously... But I'm trying to figure out if she is also going to be a hands-on producer. Um, And obviously, they've already shot all of the first season. But if the first season goes well, they're going to be moving into the second season very quickly. And I want to know how many people are on set getting their hands dirty, really putting their minds to making this show. Or was she there to develop the first season? And then right when it was done, go, okay, well, uh, I'm going to go write this Marvel movie now. So I got to go.
1: Right, that's an interesting point you're making. It's almost like Jonathan Nolan doesn't have the confidence to go in alone without a member of his family there backing him up.
0: Well, I, it was it's either that or they gave Lisa Joy too much of the reins. And, I mean, because there, there is that story that is, very, that is public at this point that HBO saw cuts and went, okay, well, uh, call Jonathan because he needs to get down here and then he needs to be here for a year. He needs to make this what we wanted in, to be in the first place. So, I don't know, like it's it's complete conjecture, but what it kind of sounds like was, "Hey Jonathan, we know this is going to be awkward for you, but what you need to tell your wife right now is let me take this over, don't you worry about it and go write a Spider-Man movie, which is awful and sexist if it's true, but also from a business standpoint, HBO is like, we're trying to make the best show jonathan nolan is jonathan nolan and he signed on to be the producer so we're paying you so make us a better show
1: putting the best face on that scenario they weren't being sexist and they were like hey you know we thought we were getting the writer of memento not not a writer for burn notice you know
0: right and if it's the worst version of that they were being awful and sexist (laughs) So there's some other people on the production side you had mentioned you wanted to talk about. Uh, the DP? Yeah, the DP uh, director of photography is Paul Cameron. He she shot Man on Fire. He shot Swordfish, Total Recall, uh, Gone in 60 Seconds, and the upcoming Pirates of the Caribbean movie. So he has been on sets that are worth millions of dollars. He has shot movies that are action-based um, and are decent action movies. I mean, Man on Fire with Denzel Washington is a wonderful action movie. Gone in 60 Seconds, while not um, incredibly uh, thought-provoking, was beautifully shot. Um, and, and in fact, uh, a common thread through a lot of the movies that uh, this DP shoots is that they're very stylistic. They end up being incredibly color-corrected, uh, which is not him. That's the editing. But, uh, you know, Gone in 60 Seconds was uh, was fast-moving, and so was Man on Fire. So was Swordfish. I mean, these are all quick cuts. These are all get-the-shot, a get real close in not a lot of wide shots. We're all just going to keep this mo- uh, show moving slash movie moving with really never having a standalone camera it's always going to be moving forward but now this is westworld which is you know it's a cowboy story but it's also going to be stretched out hopefully hbo wants hopefully eight to ten seasons because game of thrones just went eight seasons and if hbo had their way it would have been 10 or 12 so assumably hbo in their minds are thinking if this goes well, we want you for eight to ten years. So, n- not every show can be gone in sixty seconds. We, there needs to be slow build up to something great, and uh, right. I, I, especially yeah.
1: for a western, there's got to be a lot of wide shots. There's got to be a lot of beautiful panoramic scenery. You know, this, this isn't westerns thankfully, are pretty different from gone in yeah, sixty seconds.
0: Incredibly different, but thankfully, I think. The best thing this show has going for it, it it has a lot of material that you could watch and say, oh, good, this is how you do a Western. Basically, go watch Unforgiven and then go, ah, yeah, got it. Okay, let's go make Westworld."
1: And, you know, we've been talking a lot about Game of Thrones and, yeah. Not by accident. It's another it's it's a giant HBO franchise, what Westworld aspires to be. And there's a connection there with the uh with the main composer, isn't there?
0: Yeah, uh Game of Thrones has one composer. They obviously have multiple people who work in the music department, but uh they have one composer whose name I believe is uh Raman it's D J A W A D I i'm going to be honest with you i don't know exactly how to say that last name but i'm going to guess Jwadi. um he is an amazing composer uh if you've ever uh watched game of thrones including uh the last episode of the previous season which i will say absolutely nothing about but for the first 5 minutes of that episode there was this wonderful piano track i mean the man creates music that really gives you the feeling of what you're supposed to be feeling, what the director wants you to be feeling. And HBO is like, great, you're great. Now you're also <laughs> going to work on Westworld. Great, I'm glad we had this conversation.
1: Yeah, I agree. He's an amazing composer.
0: He took the reins
1: of Castamere, which in the Game of Thrones books, you've only got the text. It's not like they throw the notes in there too. And he translated that into what is maybe one of the, most beautiful soundtrack songs i've ever heard
0: yeah exactly so we have you know music a la game of thrones we have director of photography a la action movies and then we have directing a la um jj abrams called all of his friends from lost (laughs) like basically uh i honestly believe that was one of the main reasons they have jj abrams on as a producer because gaining directors For your first season is incredibly important because they are the ones who are going to lay down the foundation of your TV show. And when you go through the directors of of the first season of Westworld, it's basically three people who did a bunch of episodes of Lost, one producer of the X Files, one producer slash director on Breaking Bad. Um, they they got seasoned veterans to come in. There's no one making or directing their first big television show other than the pilot made by Jonathan Nolan, or directed by Jonathan Nolan, who's only directed, I think, one or two episodes of Persons of Interest in the past. So, out of all the directors, Jonathan Nolan has the least experience.
1: Yeah, I mean, it sounds to me, you know, just based on the the pedigree that you were talking about just there,
0: that this is going
1: to be a well-directed show. And I think we'll talk more about the individual directors as the episodes come out, huh?
0: Yeah, obviously. So I mean, with all of this when you and also you can add, you know, the uh I call him uh the big dick offset, which is an odd term, but it's basically what I call the producer who has the the name recognition to get things made. And if obviously you already have JJ J. Abrams, but now they they also have Jerry weintraub who a lot of people know who Harvey Weinstein is, who people know who the Weinstein brothers are. They make you know all quentin tarantino's movies uh they make really great movies and jerry weintraub is basically as big as them if not bigger he's the guy who you call when you want a thing made for sure and all of this when you put it all together means that to me it's going to be shot very well it's going to look amazing and it's going to sound amazing and at the end of the day now all you really have to worry about is is the story going to be enthralling enough for eight years straight?
1: Right, and conversely, if anything does go wrong on the production side of it, there's really no excuse.
0: There's none whatsoever. They have thrown the amount of money you have to throw at something to make it good. That speaks to this next part, because we're about to start talking about who stars in this show.
1: And the answer is basically everyone.
0: Yeah, everyone um two or three, I'd say that there are four B-list actors in this show. And I don't mean B-list to be something bad. I believe A-list actors, there are only three or four of them in the world right now. A-list actor means you by yourself can get a movie made. And right now in the world, there are only three or four of them. One of them is Scarlett Johansson because of Lucy The movie Lucy, which only was her and uh, a bunch of uh, awful story and decent directing, made $120, $160 million. So you get Scarlett Johansson in your movie, you can make a movie. Brad Pitt is one of those. George Clooney is one of those. Julia Roberts is one of those. So A-List is just only a few people. And B-List is like the rest of everyone who is very, very popular in Hollywood. And they have, in my opinion, at least four B-List actors starting with the one and only anthony hopkins
1: right if you don't know who anthony hopkins is well, why you're you're probably 14
0: yeah who are (laughs) you why i won't hold it
1: against you (laughs) i'm gonna
0: hold it against you i'm gonna do it how dare you go watch hannibal oh not hannibal i say hannibal i always want to say hannibal it's not it's the silence of the lambs he's (laughs) in hannibal too (laughs) yeah go go watch the silence of the lambs for the 14 minutes he's on screen he won Best Actor for 14 Minutes of Work. The man's good.
1: Yeah. Silence of the Lambs is amazing. I've got a soft spot for Hearts in Atlantis, which is another great one with Anthony Hopkins.
0: Aw, you're cute.
1: And, you know, he's he's been in more things than you could possibly ever list.
0: Yeah. When I was watching the trailer, I only said a few things during the first watch of the trailer. And one of the first ones was, Is that Anthony Hopkins? Personally, I love Anthony Hopkins.
1: Uh, I would basically watch him in anything. He's got one of those character actor voices that's like so iconic.
0: And I'm glad that later in his life, because I don't know how old Anthony Hopkins is, but he's been, he's had gray hair for an extended period of time at this point. And I'm glad that he's really not taking the Robert De Niro route, which is I'll do any movie for enough money. The Robert De Niro slash Morgan Freeman route. Give me enough money. I'll do it. Sure. That sounds great. Anthony Hopkins apparently really isn't doing that. I'm sure he's getting paid to be, you know, one of the main stars of another gigantic HBO show. But uh, in my opinion, this, it has some built in quality to it that had to have pulled him there. Like, I I just want to believe in my bones that Anthony Hopkins read the pilot script and thought to himself, I have to do this. And it's not there because the paycheck is so awesome.
1: Right, he's absolutely, he's the powerhouse of this show. He's listed on IMDb as Dr. Robert Ford, the brilliant creative director of Westworld.
0: Yeah, so in the trailer you see that Westworld is one big simulation, and Dr. Robert Ford, played by Anthony Hopkins, uh, is to us the man, the myth, the guy who made this world possible.
1: Yeah, he's basically,
0: uh, you know, if you've seen The Truman Show, he's
1: like yeah, the, right. uh, the he's god Ed of Harris. the universe. Yeah.
0: He's Ed Harris in The Truman Show. And <laughs> speaking of Ed Harris, he plays the gunslinger, which, number one, such a badass name. But number two, carrying over from the Westworld movie, there are not a lot of characters who are in the Westworld movie who are also in the Westworld show. And the gunslinger is one of them. Yul Brynner. Played the gunslinger in the original movie and ed harris is playing a gunslinger now which ed harris is known uh pretty well he's uh, he was in a beautiful mind he was in gravity he was obviously in truman show um he was john mccain in game change which you put down you are really into those pol- those political I, I wouldn't call it a thriller but a political movie <laughs>
1: Yeah, well he's great in game change, and then uh, you know, more recently you mentioned Gravity. He's also he does a quick turn but a good one at at the end of the movie Snowpiercer, which I really enjoyed.
0: Yeah, he basically takes his fourteen minutes that Anthony Hopkins had in The Silence of the Lambs and put and puts his on the end of Snowpiercer. Which is a post apocalyptic train movie starring Captain America and the and Ed Harris uh is <laughs> you know playing god again ed harris plays god a lot yeah
1: you know i gotta believe he probably auditioned for anthony hopkins role but then you know when anthony hopkins called them back I'm like sorry ed how about the gunslinger
0: yeah you can't be god this time we got hannibal but we'll give you a sweet gun and you can wear black and he was like done and done
1: <laughs> they are kind of uh aren't they they're preempting the dark tower though with the character called the gunslinger oh,
0: yeah uh, well i mean he was the gunslinger in 1973, uh, when was The Dark Tower written? <laughs> far, far,
1: far after that, so yeah. Yeah, so maybe he Stephen King... Can't be mad, Stephen King, yeah.
0: <laughs> no, maybe Stephen King was like gunslinger. Sounds good to me.
1: As the main female lead, we've got Evan Rachel Wood playing Dolores Abernathy.
0: Amazing Western... name.
1: Yeah, great name. A Western girl who discovers her entire life is an elaborately constructed lie.
0: Is she the one who looks like nothingness in the trailer? Like her eyes are incredibly vacant?
1: Yeah, I believe that's her. She's got the line at the end of the trailer where she's asking Anthony Hopkins, like, are we friends?
0: Yeah, she's the first thing you see in the trailer, her vacant face. And it pulls you in immediately. Uh, She's best known for being in uh, The Wrestler uh, in 13. And she was Lucy in Across America. Which, oh my god, across America. How, how centric am I? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, you condense <laughs> the whole universe to one Into, country. into America. Uh, the Beatles, but in America. So, yeah, Lucy and across the universe.
1: Yeah, and I really liked her in True Blood. She was the original queen of Louisiana. Oh, and
0: yeah! I forgot about that. They walk into an empty pool full of, like, a weird vampire orgy, and Evan Rachel Wood's just hanging out. I did forget about that. She was great in that. And then, um, one of my main takeaways from the trailer was, how did you get James Marsden? Right.
1: You'd think, uh, TV shows would be not on his top priority.
0: No, exactly. Which gives me an incredible amount of pride in television. And it's how television is going where... James Marsden is a movie star. The man is Cyclops in X-Men. And there have been a few of those X-Men movies. All of them make money. The man is an absolute actual movie star who decided to do an HBO show. Yeah, he'll be playing Teddy Flood, weird name. A newly I arrived like
1: gunslinger it. in pursuit of a local beauty.
0: Yeah, um, you know, I got first introduced to James Marsden marsden as uh chris with two s's in 30 rock who uh spoiler alert if you're watching 30 rock but he is one of the last liz lemon boyfriends and then he rose to fame real quick becoming uh being cyclops in x-men but i mean this really it goes to show that a lot of large stars are migrating to television and i'm so down for it television is my favorite medium. I love movies. I love movies to death. But television is my favorite medium. It's a place where you can take a story and stretch it over eight years and take everybody on a wild ride. Television is the only place where Game of Thrones could live. And which gives me uh hope that Westworld can be something of the same thing. And James Marsden being there is like maybe. I mean, he he obviously had to read this thing and like it too. That's all This is my big question. My big takeaway question from all of this is, are all of these wonderful people here because The Paycheck was amazing and it's HBO and it's Jerry Weintraub and it's J.J. Abrams and how can you say no? Or are they there because Jonathan Rowland and Lisa Joy wrote something dope? And I hope it's the second one.
1: My fear is that we've got a lot of these big names in here because they're going to be axed off by episode five
0: yeah right. exactly. How many of these people we're talking about right now are about to die, which I mean, I don't take that away. obviously, you know we talk I, we're gonna have to just have like a abbreviation for Game of Thrones for the amount of time we're about to say the words Game of Thrones Game of Thrones proved that you could have a main character and murder them, and everyone would still watch it if it's good enough um i I don't know of these people who are going to die, but uh we might as well just start really reading through these other human beings those are the uh the first four people we read those are all the b-list from here on out it's basically c-list and d-list actors character actors who are great in their own right but they're not as well known uh first being fandy newton who is playing gosh what do you think that name is is that maeve maeve i was gonna say maeve right we'll find out in episode one (laughs) exactly she's playing maeve the beautiful and sharp madam of westworld uh she stars in MTV's Rogue and NBC's The Slap um but and as James uh always brings up uh weird political movies I have not seen she plays Condi Rice in W and you said you really enjoyed that
1: Yeah she's really good as Condoleezza Rice actually everyone's great in W and you should check it out
0: I'm weirdly putting it down it's just cuz I don't know it and I'm afraid you know
1: <laughs> Yeah uh she's really good and um You know, I don't. She hasn't had her really her big break yet, so maybe this will be it.
0: Yeah, same thing with Jerry Wright, who who plays Bernard Lowe, who's the head of the Westworld programming division and creator of the artificial people. Uh, He stars in Boardwalk Empire, um, but the place I know him from is The Hunger Games, where he plays uh, basically the same character, right? Like, he's the guy who's going to be butting heads with Anthony Hopkins. Who's going to be like, are you sure that this is cool? And Anthony Hopkins is going to be like, it's my world, so buzz off.
1: Well, I I love Jeffrey Wright. His voice is so smooth. Like, he's mm. got a perfect voice for voice acting. He was in a couple episodes of the latest season of BoJack Horseman, where he was terrific. And then, uh, if any Venture Brothers fans out there, he was Think Tank in the latest season of Venture Brothers as well. He's got a beautiful voice. I actually, I really like him in The Hunger Games, too. And I'm looking forward to seeing more of him in this.
0: Uh, Tessa Thompson is next as Charlotte Hale, a mysterious, a mysterious and savvy provocateur with a unique perspective on Westworld. That is incredibly vague and means nothing, but whatever. (laughs) She's the female lead, Bianca, in Creed. Uh, Creed, if you don't know, is the new Rocky movie that's, like, actually great. And she'll also be in Thor 3, which, you know, who I, I don't know. Thor 3 might be good. Who knows?
1: I'm not going to make any friends here, but
0: I'm going to say Creed is the best Rocky movie. It is. Um, oh, boy. James. Oh, you've cut to my core. <laughs> it is. I Okay, we can't talk about this. We literally can't talk about this because we'll never, I'll never stop. <laughs> but Tessa Thompson is great in it. She's so good. Oh, no, yeah, she's amazing. Everybody is amazing in Creed. I, I don't think it's the best Rocky movie. I think it's probably <laughs> the second best Rocky movie. I mean, Hulk Hogan was in a Rocky movie. A giant Russian man in a montage was in a Rocky. Okay, we can't do this. We can't do this. So, um, <laughs> after Tessa Thompson is, gosh, this is another name that is just tough. You try. <laughs> I'm going to say
1: C uh, Babbitt Nudson. Which is a Danish name, so if there
0: are any Danes listening, I'm sorry for butchering that. You know what? You did a much better job than I would have, so I give you all the credit. Sidesy Babbitt Nudson will be playing Teresa
1: Cullen, Westworld's terse operations leader, responsible for keeping the park from sliding into unscripted chaos. I love these. Very specific. (laughs) I
0: love these definitions of who these people are so much. An intern definitely wrote them. Uh, Coming after her is Jimmy Simpson. He plays William, a reluctant first-time visitor to Westworld, joining his friend Logan, initially dismissive of the park's more uh, lascivious attractions. uh, He slowly uncovers a deeper meaning to the park's narrative. Jimmy Simpson, uh, I think, probably will be one of the main characters, the outside character in the pilot, like the person who the audience is supposed to connect with the most. Uh, You'll probably know him from places like House of Cards. He played like the tech, hacker, I know, computer guy in House of Cards. He was in Person of Interest. He was in Psych. But to me, he will always be Liam McPoyle from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And he
1: will never escape that. that? He
0: really <laughs> won't. He will be sweaty and full of milk till the day I die.
1: But yeah, I love Jimmy Simpson, too. Uh, if you look here, we've already got some cast connections. He was in Person of Interest, created by Jonathan Nolan.
0: So yeah, we got some uh, we got some nepotism going on apparently. Well, I mean, yeah, it's an HBO show. There's really there's literally nothing else but nepotism except for talent. Um, let's see, <laughs> Rodrigo Santoro is next, who he plays Hector Escacion. Esca That I feel like that was weirdly racist, but I feel like it's also how to say that name. Either way, a wanted man bent on survival, uh, best known as Xerxes in 300 in the sequel. Oh, he was Xerxes. That guy is great. He's giant and bald. Actually, I think he's not giant. I think they made him look giant. He's like five foot seven. Yeah, he
1: also, he has a small part in a Jim Carrey movie, I Love You, Philip Morris. Really? Yeah, and he looks nothing like he does in 300, but he's really
0: fun. I don't think he's supposed to look like he did in 300 anywhere else, but, uh, <laughs> you know, bald and screaming. Um, hopefully he's bald and screaming in Westworld. I'd take that. Honestly. Yeah, I
1: mean, hopefully they just shoehorned Xerxes into the show. That'd be great.
0: Right, exactly. That'd be neat. Um, after him shannon woodward plays elsie hughes a rising star in the programming division tasked with odd behavior in the park's artificial beings that sounds like she's going to be playing like when the first thing goes wrong anthony hopkins is going to be like hey why um you can know her from fight uh fox's raising hope and fx's the riches i have not seen either of those shows i know nothing about this human being
1: yeah, we're starting to edge into territory of actors and actresses who I'm not familiar with, but that part that she's playing, you know, a programmer monitoring the AI characters before they go crazy, that sounds like a good part.
0: It sounds like she's going to get stabbed. Do you know what I mean? It sounds like one of the characters she created is going to stab her and it's going to be a weird complex, like God complex moment. I don't know. It sounds like it's going to be fun. Um, After her is, gosh, dang. Ingrid bolso Berdal, do you think I did a good? Do you think I did a good job? Tell yeah, me sounds I did a pretty good, job. good to
1: me, man. Uh, I haven't studied any Norwegian, so
0: yeah, I, me either. She plays me. <laughs> she plays Armistice, a brutal and ruthless bandit. She's a Norwegian actress from Hercules and Hansel and Gretel. Uh, I'm glad that a brutal and ruthless bandit is being played by a woman. Do you think that was a meeting? I, I want to, I, and. I, I say this in the nicest way possible, but I feel like cheated sometimes when I, when I feel like sometimes uh, a bunch of really rich people sit around a table and go, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to make a badass character, but she's going to be a woman. So all 13 to 19 girls will like her. Do you think she's one of those or do you think it's a truly additive part of the story? I don't, I'm just, I'm so, I don't know. I, I feel like, this is something I want to be good so badly that I have these kind of reactions. Like, I I hope that this is genuinely good and they're just trying not to trick me. And I and do you think that I'm being sexist in this moment? I think
1: you're being a little cynical, but I'm, yeah, I think what you know, there's a possibility that you're right. But there's a there's a long and storied tradition of female outlaws in the Western genre.
0: That's a good point.
1: So you know, it's it's not completely out of left field. Did you ever see the movie Holes with uh, what's his name?
0: Shia LaBeouf. Shia yeah, LaBeouf. I've seen the movie Holes. Hector Zeroni. You got to take her to the top of the mountain, or you're all gonna be cursed. Yeah, yeah I love them. About
1: a uh, uh, kissing Kate. The female. You're right. Uh-huh. I like God, that character a lot.
0: Oh, kissing Kate. You're so you are incredibly. Cr- I mean, I mean, one of my favorite movies from when I was a kid was Tall Tale, and in that movie is Calamity Jane. Calamity Jane is one of my favorite characters in that movie. So, you know what? Look, You changed my mind. Good job, man. Good job. Next up, we've got Ben Barnes, who's going to be playing Logan,
1: a bachelor and veteran Westworld guest. His hedonistic romp through Westworld is equally motivated by self-indulgence and a desire to help his friend, William. So, I'm guessing he's going to be playing Jimmy Simpson's best buddy, who is uh, you know, if he's been to Westworld a couple times, he's probably not you know as naive and not as filled with wonder maybe he's a little bit more cynical about the whole situation
0: i don't think he's gonna be cynical about the situation I, it sounds kind of like he's playing a guy who is like dude you gotta come with me to this new awesome amusement park it's called west world i go there and get laid in the wild west constantly dog gotta go with me dude that doesn't sound like it's safe and also the uh is it all ai Kind of sounds like slavery. And then Logan goes, Nah, man, it's awesome. You gotta come. And then he's like, Okay, that's what it sounds like it's gonna be. Right, perhaps. Ben Barnes plays Prince Caspian in a
1: couple of the Narnia movies, and more recently, he was Dorian Gray.
0: Yeah, and he was also uh the younger version of the main character in Stardust, uh, a Neil Gaiman adaption. So that is also information you know now. <laughs>
1: uh next up we've got simon quarterman as lee sizemore westworld's narrative director whose artistic
0: temperament aggravates his co worker i love these names so much they leaned into the names so hard they were like you want to give them real weird uh real names that aren't weird and they're like no 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 this is a western give them weird ones
1: yeah, that's uh, when I first read Lee Sizemore. Well, like, I'm, well, surely that's a cowboy. Nope, that's on the the scientist no. side.
0: He's a, he's an he's a nerd with a temper.
1: Uh, he's best known for his work in two horror movies, neither of which I've seen: "The Devil
0: Inside" and Were, W e r. That's barely a name, but okay. And I, I have no idea who this human being is, and I have no idea who this. Uh, next lady is although maybe if I Google her name I'll understand because she wasn't Twilight and I'm uh I'm a human being who has seen Twilight. Uh, oh yeah, this lady. So her name is Angela Safarian, Saf Sir. Sir, Sarafi- Sar- Sar- I can't say names. Um, either way, she plays Clementine Pennyfeather. Gosh, yeah.
1: She's... Are you
0: kidding me? <laughs> They're just fucking with Clement- us. At this point. Wait, let me say, I need to say this name in the movie voice for a moment. <clears throat> Clementine Pennyfeather. Amazing. So, I, this is, I hope this shows some good. Okay, an artificial being in one of Westworld's most popular attractions. She sounds like the most popular whore at the brothel.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that was a weird way to phrase it. The one of Westworld's most popular attractions. Jeez. Come to Westworld! Ride our...
0: Buggy and Carriage and our Clementine Pennyfeather. Right. It sounds like Logan knows who Clementine Pennyfeather is, if you know what I'm talking <laughs> you know talk about. Okay. Yeah, no, it's not it sounds like he knows who she is. And then after her we have Luke Hemsworth, a last name that you might recognize. Luke Hemsworth is the older brother of the uh three Hemsworth brothers, the middle uh brother being Thor and the younger brother being one of the star of the Hunger Games and the guy who is with Miley Cyrus right so he's the oldest uh, but the least famous Hemsworth brother which has to feel weird right when your younger brother is thor like and and you're the older brother who beat up all your brothers while you were growing up and now both of them are way more famous than you right they've got like a, a Peyton Eli situation going on here They really do, but Luke is going to be playing Stubbs, the no-nonsense head of security, charged with monitoring host and human interactions and ensuring the safety of the guests. It sounds like he is the bodyguard. He's the guy who's inside the world being like, hey, 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 don't do that. So how fast do you think he's going to die?
1: Exactly. Uh, But, I mean, I'm interested in seeing his part, uh, you know. Maybe this will be, he'll join his brothers uh, in stardom
0: with this role. Some, as a person with brothers, and you are too, you you have brothers as well, I want him to succeed so badly so that at Christmas he can be like, hey guys, y'all can suck it.
1: Yeah, at least then he can look down on Liam, not Chris, but.
0: <laughs> no, you can't really look, yeah, Chris Hemsworth is one of the biggest stars in the world. On that list I made earlier, the uh A actors, I cannot believe I forgot. Uh, Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, and Chris Hemsworth. All three of those human beings. And Scarlett Johansson's in The Avengers, too. Like, all basically the main cast of The Avengers, uh, they're all A-listers, too. And Luke Hemsworth is the older brother of one of those, and uh, he's probably pretty sad about it.
1: <laughs> and then, last but certainly not least, we've got Clifton Collins Jr. as Lawrence, a charming but lethal outlaw with a knack for maneuvering and negotiating the various criminal elements of Westworld.
0: So, he is an outlaw in Westworld who probably is, like, the smartest one that there is. Let me look up a picture of him. Oh! He is, um, he is that weird, like, guy who runs the robot center in Pacific Rim. What is his name in Pacific Rim? He plays, um, Ops Tendo Choi. Yeah. Yeah. He's the guy who in Pacific Rim, uh, at the beginning, the, the Charlie Hunnam, who plays the main robot hunter, is getting in his robot, and he's like, hey, guy, ops man, did that date go well last night? And he's like, nah, man, you know, girls, he's that guy. Um, okay.
1: Oh, yeah. 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 I, I kind of recognize him.
0: Yeah, he's that weird character actor that, uh, that's in a bunch of, a bunch of good slash bad things. Um.
1: Yeah, he was nominated for an Emmy for his role in Thief, which is a miniseries I have not seen or heard of
0: until just but now. If it, uh, what is it on? It's on FX. Yes. You know what? Um, I don't. I've never seen or heard of it. But at this point, FX is making a lot of really great miniseries. FX is basically looking at AMC and being like, "Crap, we got to make some actual good stuff." Um, you know, Clifton Collins Jr., a name I just know. Uh, figured out. Um, who that is. But, like, he's another one of those guys who I've seen and remember as a character from the past. I mean, he immediately came up in my brain as, oh, yeah, he was that weird guy in Pacific Rim. This show is full of, oh, yeah, he was that weird guy. So, I mean, obviously within the casting decisions, they didn't just get the, uh, the people who with name recognition. There are people in this show who nobody in their right minds knows about but are actually good at their jobs.
1: Yeah. And you know, I think a lot of them have something to prove and so they're really going to bring their A game to this show. And you know, is it is it okay for me to bring up the fact this is a very diverse cast?
0: On it's HBO, an incredibly diverse.
1: Yeah. Which is not has has not always been lauded for its diversity.
0: I mean, thankfully they're now in a world where um they can justify literally any race um gender ethnicity as a character because it's whoever walks into this building and wants to go into this amusement park is going to be on screen and you can be any which way to be at an amusement park you go to six flags you see every kind of human being ever so they have a perfect backdrop to be like look how diverse we are we're doing so our hr department is psyched yeah
1: and you know in in the actual years that we would consider to be the wild west you had people coming in from Central and South America. You had people emigrating over from Asia. You, of course, had, you know, the the white and black people who are already living in America. So, you know, it's, it's built in diversity. You know, it's not something that they had to reach for.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, the cast is great. They have an incredibly diverse cast, people who know what they're doing. Uh, I want to read this quote right here. Jonathan Nolan said, Uh, about this new show westworld we wanted to pose the question if you could be completely immersed in a fantasy one in which you could do whatever you wanted would you discover things about yourself that you didn't want to know um this show is asking big questions on is ai a good thing the show is asking a bunch of questions on if you can be in a fantasy where you are truly alone outside in the real world you are have eyes closed, hooked up into a very, um, uh, interstellar, uh, not interstellar, yeah, no, inception, sorry, in a very in- inception kind of, uh, surrounding, where you're inside a dream, um, but that dream is a, a real world that, uh, an amalgam, like an MMORPG, basically. Yeah, if you go- it- If you go into that world, are you going to be a better or worse version of yourself? This show's asking- Questions that I find interesting. God, I just want it to be good so bad.
1: Yeah. To so the point you were making, there's a difference between mowing a pixelated person down in Grand Theft Auto and shooting a thinking, feeling android with an actual gun, you know?
0: Yeah, I feel like, how many episodes are we going to get in? Is it going to be the pilot where somebody dies for real? Like, it's basically a countdown to when will the AI turn when will um when will this amusement park uh get out like what's actually happening inside it to the outside world how will the fake media inside westworld feel about it how will they feel about anthony hopkins character playing god will people like religious zealots outside of westworld like the people in the real fictional world that is westworld um hate this kind of thing um you know, you know, I there's so many places that this story can go. It has all the people who need to make it good. I feel like I'm reiterating that and, and, and just becoming a broken record. But it, I mean, it's just truly the feelings of a human being who hopes that they find their new favorite thing soon. <laughs> so and, and knows that Game of Thrones is leaving them, which uh, I think is a palpable emotion that a lot of people are feeling right now.
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm excited. I'm hopeful. I'm ready to believe.
0: Bring me my dream cowboy. Bring <laughs> him to me. Or her. Or her. That was weirdly like the opposite of sexist where I was like, I want my now I want my male dream cowboy.
1: Alright, so yeah, that is the cast and crew for Westworld. Based on just the names we brought out and and the resumes they've got attached to it. Everyone can really find a reason to get excited
0: you know as well as it getting excited to listen to this podcast you know what i'm talking about
1: that's right thanks for listening if you made it all the way through we will ah. be back next week where we're going to recap and review the original 1973 film westworld written and directed by the late great michael Crichton.
0: Yeah, if you want to watch it this week so that you can follow along and/or know what we're talking about next week, I would very much recommend it. Um, go find it on the internet or perhaps in other places. <laughs> that wasn't helpful to you at all. Just go find the thing and yeah. watch it. So Pay for it legally, don't. though. Come on, you know, uh, help the Crichton
1: family estate out.
0: The Crichton family estate made ER. I think they'll be fine. <laughs> find Westworld and anything you can in any way that you can do so. And then come hang out with us next week when we talk about the 1973 Westworld. That is not what this show is based off of, but the weird uh, way back backbone.
1: Yeah, which I haven't watched since high school. So I just want to shout out to my high school English teacher, Mr. Sarambet, for having an awesome science fiction class and showing this movie to me.
0: And I have never seen it. So this will be a first time viewing. So I'm James. And I'm Ryan. And this is the Westworld Podcast. We did such a good job.
1: Oh, yeah. I honestly feel like we rocked the shit (laughs) out (laughs) of this.